This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, and welcome to the Canine Conversations podcast, where we are positively obsessed with dog behavior. My name is Kayla Fratt, and I'm the owner of Journey Dog Training, where I offer low-cost remote behavioralist support to dog owners around the world. Dogs that bark at lunge at other dogs through windows, fences, doors, and on walks are all over pretty much every neighborhood in the country and probably around the world. It's pretty stressful for many of our dogs, and that's why trainers like to say that reactivity is contagious. Here to help me unpack that concept and what we can do about it is um, Marissa of Paws and Rewards Training in Boulder and the author of Human-Canine Behavior Connection. Hi, guys. So Marissa and I are both certified dog trainers with many years of experience. And Marissa, do you want to kick us off by just telling us exactly what we mean when we say a dog is reactive? Yes. So a dog is reactive. Um, We usually lump this into a particular label or a category. Um, Some some what reactive looks like is potentially um, barking, lunging, pulling, growling. Um, whenever the dog sees either another dog or a person or another sort of stimulus, it could be maybe bikes that go by, it could be, um, you know, uh, skateboarders, like anything in the environment that is causing them enough stress to, um, be confrontational about it. Um, and lots of times it could be, um, the product of the dog is um, fearful, and then that's how they are um, choosing to exhibit that behavior. Or sometimes they are frustrated that they can't get to that stimulus. So um, it's definitely the dog having an emotional reaction to whatever it is that is in the environment. Um, and yeah, so it's kind of a lump term uh-huh. for just the behavior that we're seeing that's generally barking or lunging. Um, and usually for owners, it's just, it's a pretty embarrassing problem, I would say. Absolutely. Um, and can be really, really frustrating. Um, and Marissa, you've been seeing reactivity clients for quite a while. Um, do you have any guesses or hunches as to why reactivity is such a common problem? Yeah, I think there's a lot of variables that go into that. One is, um, uh, I think that, we as owners, and I have a tendency to do it myself, uh, we tense up on the leash. Like if we're specifically talking about leash reactivity, um, we are tensing up on the leash and removing choice from a lot of the dogs in that situation. Um, I totally understand why we tense up on the leash because we want to have control over our dogs and we don't want the dogs to get close to that stimulus. Um, however, the tension on the leash removes a lot of choice from the dog and they become a little even more more so reactive um, about the stimulus. Um, I also think that, you know, from a societal standpoint, we are incorporating our dogs into our, 
environments way more than we were um, previously. Dogs usually were just sort of in the backyard and, and, and that, that was that. But now we are bringing our dogs to a lot of different areas um, and we're exposing them to um, many different stimuli that they might not have been properly socialized to. And so then therefore they become nervous and, and potentially reactive when they're out in the community. Um, I don't know if you're seeing that, Kayla, or if there's other things that you want to add to that. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I see is reactivity does seem to be quite a bit more common in um, restrictive city um, and suburban scenarios. And um, I think the hunch that I share with many other dog trainers is that when dogs spend the bulk of their time kind of either on leash with very, very little choice with how of how to interact with their environment or... Um, you know, they kind of, a lot of times these dogs end up with this dichotomy of they're either on leash or they're in like a daycare or dog park setting where it's a total free for all. And that can be really confusing and upsetting for these dogs. And then the dogs that aren't super social and maybe aren't going to daycare and dog parks, they know that when they're on leash and when they're on a sidewalk, they are not necessarily going to be able to communicate in a way that is more subtle about how they feel about that thing. So I think that's one of the big reasons that we see it so commonly in cities. And one of the things I've found really interesting here, um, so I'm currently in a small coastal town in Mexico, and pretty much every single dog that I see here would be technically, you know, classified as reactive um, back in the U.S. They all pretty much spend their days outside, out front, barking at everything that goes by. Um, But... One of the things that's important to keep in mind is these dogs, their purpose is they're guard dogs. They're there to alert their owners when something goes by. And I would argue if your dog is barking at every single person, he's not being super effective um, because you probably don't listen when he barks anymore. But we also have to keep in mind that there is a pretty strong genetic component to a dog's tendency to bark and lunge at things, um, especially around the home, because that is up until really recently is one of the biggest reasons that we kept dogs around as pets. Um, So moving forward, we all pretty much work hands-on with reactive dogs um, almost every day, but we don't always spend as much time thinking about how we can prevent more dogs from becoming reactive as uh, maybe we should. So this episode is not about fixing reactivity. We're talking about how to avoid it. And we want to talk about treating reactivity coming up in another episode. Um, And this is also not to say that if your dog is reactive, it's your fault because you didn't prevent it. As I just said, there's a pretty big genetic component to this problem. Um, Among other things, you know, you can't control every single aspect of your dog's life. And just because you didn't stop one terrible experience from happening to your dog, uh, that doesn't mean that your dog's reactivity is your fault. So I just wanted to say that for people whose dogs who are already reactive. But so let's talk a little bit about preventing reactivity. And I'm going to start by telling you guys a little story here. So I was walking Barley this summer in a well-to-do neighborhood in um, actually just outside of Vancouver. And um, it was, you know, big houses, huge windows, floor to ceiling, like gorgeous. Um, And pretty much every house had a dog barking at the window. Some of the dogs were barking, lunging, scrabbling. You know, some of them looked pretty scary. A lot of them, to be honest, were kind of little white fluffies that weren't scary, but it wasn't very nice to walk through that neighborhood. And one of the things that I noticed that was pretty striking for me as a dog behavior consultant is about how the dogs interact, the owners interacted with their dogs. 
So a lot of the owners just totally ignored their dogs, even if the owners were home. And in all fairness, many of the dogs were, as far as I could tell, home alone. So there was no one really to do anything about the fact they were just spending all day barking at people who walked by. But let's talk about the dogs who did have guardians there. Um, the owners who were home and reacted to their dogs barking, um, which again was a pretty small subset of what I walked past, they almost all universally scolded their dogs. And most of those dogs pretty much just kept carrying on, even if the owners were yelling pretty loudly. And then the owners, um, the owners and the dogs pretty much both stopped yelling <laughs> as soon as Barley and I had passed by. So I think it's important to say that we're not passing judgment here. We totally understand that people are doing the best they can with their dogs, with the knowledge that they have. And we truly understand me personally with my own dog that it's exhausting and can be frustrating. And oftentimes, like Kayla mentioned earlier, embarrassing to have a dog that barks when people or other dogs go by. Um, so like we mentioned earlier, we're not talking about treating reactivity. We definitely are going to get to that in another episode. So Kayla, what are we really here to talk about? So one of the things that I realized as I was walking through this neighborhood is that there are probably some things that I was doing differently with how I handled my dog that was helping prevent him from essentially reciprocating this barking and lunging back to these other dogs. So, and that's something that comes with practice, but also with something that I think about really consciously because I intentionally put Barley in these situations where dogs are barking and lunging at him because I use him as a demo dog when I'm working with reactive dogs. So there are a couple, basically four main strategies that I use that help keep Barley basically down to have that job and help prevent him from getting to a place where he's going to start barking and lunging back at all of these dogs that are barking and lunging at him, which would be a totally reasonable response on his part. Um, so the four things that I do to help keep my dog from barking and lunging, even when other dogs around him are essentially picking a fight, is number one, we avoid on-leash greetings and give other dogs plenty of space. Number two is that I keep it cool when other dogs are losing their cool. Number three, I reward Barley for noticing other dogs pretty much always, and especially if that other dog is being rude. And number four is that I block Barley's view of the street and use white noise when he's alone. So Marissa, can you talk to our listeners a little bit more about why our first tip, avoiding on-leash greetings and giving your dog space around other dogs, is so important? Because it seems pretty counterintuitive um, you would think that we want to socialize our dogs with other dogs on leash as a way to pre prevent reactivity. So why is the opposite actually what we're going for? Yeah. So a lot of clients will ask, well, you know, I, I, you know, I noticed that my dog is barking and lunging at other dogs on leash. And so I decided to bring him to the dog park to socialize him, or I decided to introduce him to every, every dog on leash to socialize and lots of times that explodes in the dog's face and in the client's face because um, I think it's really important to understand why the reactivity is happening. If your dog is reacting, so barking and lunging towards other dogs on leash, it's important to understand are they worried about the other dog? Are they frustrated? Are they truly aggressive towards that other dog? So it would be as if, um, you know, I really, you know, you wanted to make sure that I really liked frat parties. And I said, no, I absolutely do not want to go to a frat party. And, you, and then Kayla said, no, I mean, I like, trust me, you know, hanging out at frat parties is the greatest thing ever. 
Um, let me just continue to expose you to a variety of different frat parties. And um, her exposure, which is otherwise known as socialization, but her exposure and bringing me to frat parties further confirms when I go there that I don't like being around that social experience. Um, and so it's, it's really important to understand whether or not what you're doing that, 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 that meet and greet on the street is actually helping or hurting the situation. And in most cases that we see, it's usually hurting the situation because that's an, a, a new dog that your dog doesn't know. It's a lot of social pressure for them to have a nice, appropriate on-leash greeting. Um, you have no idea what the other dog's social skills truly are. Um, and so that's not necessarily fair to the dog. So we're, we, we'd rather you not do just impromptu socialization opportunities with novel dogs on the street because they chances are they're going to go poorly and that's going to further exacerbate your dog's experience while walking and meeting dogs on leash. So um, socialization needs to be more strategic. It needs to be more structured and it needs to happen in positive experiences so that your dog shifts his or her perspective on seeing a novel dog and meeting another novel dog on the street. Anything to add to that, Kayla? Yeah, I, I do have one thing to add. And that's one of the big things that I've noticed is when you have dogs off leash in really big open environments. So I'm not talking about like a jam packed, um, dog park, which is honestly pretty similar to a frat party in my experience. Um, very much so. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so for, to, for an example, um, There is this beach outside of um, where I'm staying right now that is probably four or five miles long, and um, dogs are allowed off-leash there, but there just aren't all that many. And when I was watching how these dogs interacted with each other when they have miles and miles of beach, and the beach is also probably about a half mile wide, um, they were really, they're arcing around each other and there's so much communication that happens before they're even within a hundred yards of each other. And if you compare that to, and, the, and there were no fights, there was no barking, there was no issues. It was amazing. Um, versus if you compare that to an on-leash greeting, especially in a city block, you know, they just, they can't really talk to each other and say, hey, how are you doing before they get up right into each other's faces and they can't arc around to give each other a bit of space. We're usually, you know, trying to keep them traveling in these straight lines. And it's just, it's not, you know how it's kind of awkward to like walk down the hallway and lock eyes with someone like too early. And then you're just walking down this really quiet hallway together, staring at each other. Yeah. Um, (laughs) This is kind of how I imagine being a dog on a leash probably feels and I can't I can't check that with my dog I can't ask him that but I can look at his behavior when he sees a dog on an off-leash hiking trail versus when he sees a dog on leash on a city street and my dog looks much more relaxed when he sees a dog in a big off-leash area you know and so yeah um, so that's number one for preventing leash aggression and reactivity is just to avoid those on-leash greetings and to give our dogs space. Because again, we just, we can't control those scenarios. You don't know whether or not those other dogs are going to be okay. Um, and you're also removing a lot of your dog's ability to communicate in those situations. So even two dogs that are normally pretty socially savvy, they're essentially handicapped when they're on leash. So number two on our list is keeping our cool when our dogs are losing their cool. Um, And that can be when 
<laughs> so number two on our list is keeping our cool when other dogs are losing their cool. So Marissa, you're something of a dog-human relationship expert, I think is fair to say. Um, can you fill us in a bit on why it's so important to remain calm um, and present with your own dog when other dogs around you are losing it? Yeah, there's so much I have to say about this, but um, I will say that, uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, my dog is a 10 year old Pyrenees uh, lab mix. And I didn't mention that earlier, but I mentioned earlier that uh, he can be reactive to the sight of other dogs and sometimes people, depending on the scenario. And it's interesting. My partner, Scott, is very calm, cool and collected. Um, and I am a little bit more anxious, uh, maybe a lot more anxious. And when Scott walks Sully, Sully can ground and um, not necessarily be so alert um, just because Scott is calm and trusts that Sully will make the right choices that he needs to make and is not watching him and walking him through the lens of a dog trainer's eye. Um, and so sometimes I think a little bit of my education uh, backfires and I can be a little bit more tense and, um, you know, expecting my dog to react. Um, so there's a there's a fine balance with this. Um, it is on the flip side, really important to know what your dog's triggers are and how those triggers and your dog's reaction to those triggers affects you. So when my dog barks, he has such a loud, deep bark that it does startle my own nervous system. So a way to protect both he and I is that I am scanning the environment and that I have some sort of training tool, whether I'm playing find it or whether I'm, I'm engaging in play with him or whether I'm just feeding him whenever he sees other dogs so that both he has something uh, more interesting to do and I have something more interesting to do. So I'm shifting how I'm reacting to the situation, which ultimately helps my dog shift um, and react better to his situation as well. And therefore, both he and I are loose and we're having a good time and we know how to handle the situation at large instead of waiting for the trigger to appear and then he reacts poorly and then I react poorly and then we're just doing cleanup from that that situation um so being proactive and preventative is is not only really great for um you know uh making sure that your dog doesn't develop or have a, a larger issue down the road it's also really important to prevent just negative experiences um taking place for both of you it 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 puts you in a place to um, have, have a more enjoyable walk and connect deeply with your dog um, instead of waiting for something to explode. So that's how I get around it. And what I talk to my clients about is, is being really aware of um, what their dog's triggers are, how their dog is going to respond to those triggers, and then how that how those things ultimately trigger the owner um, and then we shift their behavior, which ultimately shifts the dog's behavior. Yeah. And I think one of the things to add here is it can be really tempting when you know that you are in the right and you are walking your dog in an, in an on-leash only area or, you know, you're just in like a city and it's just unreasonable to have a dog off-leash and some off-leash 
you know, buffoon. It's always some like, I'm sure it's a lovely, happy, bouncy golden retriever, you know, <laughs> um, comes barreling up to you. It is so easy to get frustrated in that scenario and start screaming at the dog or screaming at the owner. And it's even easier if the other dog is actually not friendly um, mm-hmm. to yeah, start to lose yelling, your cool. to lose your cool. Yeah. And one of the things that I've noticed really strongly with my own dog is when I'm having a bad day and I forget my own lessons and I yell at the dog or I yell at the owner, my own dog gets really tense. You know, I mean, he's, he's in tune with me just as much as I'm in tune with him and maybe more. And if I start yelling and screaming um, about that off-leash dog because I'm trying to keep it away from my dog because I'm worried about them having a bad experience – what do you know? I just created a bad experience. Um, so we're going to talk about what we do instead here in a second. So that's number two on our list of ways to ensure that your dog continues being a model citizen around other dogs. Our third tip is to reward your dog for noticing other dogs pretty much always. And I think this one is probably the most important because it teaches your dog to check in with you and that other dogs mean good things are coming from you. It also is making everyone feel good and teaches your dog an awesome skill. Now, I'm like most of you guys, I don't always carry treats on walks. I really, really try to remember, but it's one of those things where it's better to do as I say, not as I do. Um, So when I don't have treats, I still try really hard to reward my dog with some play or praise around other dogs. And this often comes in the form of baby talking, a bit of tug of war with a twig that we find on the ground, or a quick, quick of a, (laughs) oh my gosh. (laughs) This often comes in the form of some baby talking, a bit of tug of war with a twig we find on the ground, or a quick kick of a stick for Barley to chase. My personal go-to right now for when other dogs bark and lunge at us is to offer a little bit of personal play with Barley and asking him to chase me while I baby talk him about how dumb and rude the other dog is being. And this interjects some joy into the situation with Barley while letting me blow off steam about how rude the other dog is without upsetting Barley. So what this kind of looks like, and it's really goofy, is if there's a dog that's barking and lunging at us from behind a gate and Barley's looking a little bit worried from it, what I'll do is like, oh, hey, buddy, how's it going? You know, you want play? Yeah, I know, the dog's being so dumb. He's being so dumb, but we're just going to keep walking, you know? And we really try to baby talk it. And luckily, my dog understands tone better than he understands English. And what I find is it's actually really cathartic for me to basically poo-poo talk that other dog while I'm helping my own dog feel better about the situation. So that's kind of, that's a strategy that probably is going to work for most of you guys, because most dogs respond pretty well to some amount of baby talk. And if you guys have a dog that loves sticks, um, what I have actually found is incredibly effective for my dog and is probably one of the best things I've done for him is that Barley is at this point essentially trained to grab a stick and chase it with me whenever he hears another dog barking. And that is just so cool for me. So when Barley hears another dog barking and growling and carrying on, his go-to response is now to grab a stick and then try to play with me. And I was able to do that by basically every time a dog started barking and lunging at him, I would tell him, Barley, get your stick. Where's your stick? Find it. You know, and he, you know, he's a stick maniac. So his tail goes up, his nose goes down, he's sniffing, he's snuffling, he's trying to find a stick. And it's basically a spinoff of the find it game that a lot of people do by tossing treats in the ground but it works even if you don't have treats. And 
at this point, Barley's conditional emotional response to other dogs barking at him is so good that when other dogs start barking at him, a lot of times, if I don't say anything, he still starts sniffing and looking for that tug, that stick. And if he brings it to me, I'll throw it for him. And I don't normally play fetch with him while we're on walks. So at this point, I've got to imagine he's pretty much excited to have another dog bark at him because that means he gets to play with the stick. Yeah. And Kayla, I will add on this. I have done a similar thing with Sully um, in the house. So we used to live on a trail system. So people with dogs and bikes and strollers and such would go by and he would um, sort of stand guard because he is a Pyrenees, uh, stand guard and look down at, at that trail and make sure that that, you know, he told everyone that he lives here. And I taught him how to go get your toy um, instead, because guys, what is so great about what Kayla did and what I did is that dogs cannot hold something in their mouth and bark at the same time. So if if you want, if you're ever trying to think about what, you know, I don't like this problematic behavior, the question we'll ask you is, well, what is it that you want to do instead? Or what is it that you want your dog to do instead? And lots of times it's it's a behavior that is conflicting with the problematic behavior. And so I love teaching dogs um, to go pick something up using their mouths instead of barking, um, just because it, it, it will it will really uh, you, you can't bark and hold something at the same time. I mean, some dogs can, but it's not it's not as um, terrible as full-on barking and lunging back. Yeah, it's kind um, of a muffled little woof. And I've found yeah. Barley will actually grab squeaky toys and squeak them at people instead of barking at them, and it's much cuter. Much um, cuter. <laughs> and so, you know, Marissa pointed out that we both have it easy because our dogs are both pretty into toys, and my dog Barley is a total fetch tug maniac. I mean, he's a border collie. He lives for this stuff. Um, so if you don't have a dog that's super-duper into toys um, – you might be able to use petting and praise as a replacement, although um, it's pretty important to keep in mind that if your dog is already a little bit stressed, petting sometimes is not going to be what um, calms them down. And it's also pretty important to pay really close to your dog's body language to be sure that petting is actually a good thing for your dog before you try to use it as a reward, because a lot of dogs aren't quite as into petting as um, we think they are. Good call. And if your dog isn't into praise, petting, or play, you're going to have to bring treats on walks. And just basically every time you see another dog, just pop a treat in your dog's mouth. And it can just be that simple where, you know, you, you see a dog, you say, oh, good boy, you know, and there's a treat in your dog's mouth. And as you move forward, you can start waiting for your dog to look at the other dog and then look back up at you. But in the beginning, I would really recommend just giving a treat as soon as you see another dog and doing that classical conditioning. And ultimately, you might get more of that behavior of your dog looking at you. You probably will because your dog is going to be like, oh, there's a dog. Where's my treat? But um, starting out with that classical, that classical conditioning of just giving a treat when you see another dog is probably more important than trying to go straight for the obedience right away. So Agreed. that's number three. <laughs> yeah. So that's number three. Reward your dog for noticing other dogs, especially if those other dogs are barking. So number four on our list is to block your dog's view of other dogs and people while you're gone. You might want to use some white noise to block out the sound of other dogs or sirens as well, especially if you're in a city. Um, and Marissa, can you talk to us a little bit about why this is so important? Again, it kind of seems like letting your dog look out all the window is good because otherwise they're kind of bored and they're hanging out inside. But like, but maybe that's not the case. So why would we want to keep our dogs basically closed up without access to the windows during the day? 
Yeah. So um, one thing that we sort of mentioned, but not in detail in the beginning is why reactivity takes place. Um, it's a it's a pretty strong learned behavior for a lot of these dogs. So if if I'm a dog and I'm barking and lunging because you are walking past my house um, and my desire is that you move yourself away from my house as you continue past my house and you leave my barking just got reinforced. So great. If I don't like someone approaching my house, I'm going to bark. They go away. This is awesome. Right. So, so basically all the passersby in the world are teaching our dogs to bark accidentally by just trying to do their daily, daily routine. Exactly. <laughs> so I think what's really important is that if somebody is trying to, you know, really modify this behavior in, in their dog, it's important to, uh, pay attention to in all the different contexts in which this is happening. So inside a car, in your backyard, inside the house, while on leash, um, we, we don't necessarily want dogs to be reinforced by this behavior in one area while we're working to modify it in another area. It's a conflicting message to a lot of these dogs. Um, and so it's important to, um, you know, like Kayla said, block their stimulation, um, use classical music or a white noise machine. Um, and if you're worried about giving them something to do, let's give them something to do that's more positive, like um, some mental stimulation uh, games, some food puzzles, um, things that you can provide to them that will give them something to do. But it doesn't also um, reinforce a a behavior that we don't like to see. Uh, we have a lot of great resources on mental stimulation outlets, and so we can link those in the show notes so that if you, you do have a dog that is somewhat bored during the day um, and we want to remove them from the window and such, that we can replace that with something better to do that is going to support behavior, not necessarily encourage poor behavior. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's super duper important. And it's also just important to keep in mind that, you know, it's it's really, really hard to fix this behavior, essentially, if it's probably happening while you're not around. So going back to that walk that I had in Vancouver, where this idea first started hitting me over the head, a lot of these dogs had these gorgeous floor to ceiling windows, and they just spent all day looking outside those windows and barking at people. And I would imagine that if we asked their owners, um, they would probably say, oh yeah, Fluffy loves looking outside the window. And what they might not be missing is that Fluffy is actually kind of hypervigilant about looking out the windows and essentially guarding the house. And that actually might be a pretty stressful thing for the dog, even if it is reinforcing. Um, and it's not necessarily a good thing. And just because your dog seems to like looking out the window and barking at people doesn't mean that that's something that we want to go ahead and allow. So um, those are our four tips for preventing reactivity in our own dogs. I'm sure there are plenty more, but those are kind of our four main ones. So just to recap, we've got number one, avoiding on-leash greetings and giving our dogs plenty of space around other dogs. Number two is keeping it cool, especially when other dogs are losing their cool. Number three is going to be rewarding your dog for noticing other dogs pretty much always, and especially if the other dog is being rude. And number four is blocking your dog's view of the street and using some white noise or classical music when he or she is alone so that she's not practicing the, this behavior. 
So starting tonight, try to think of how you can implement these changes in your own routine with your dog to continue preventing your dog's reactivity. And the plus side is none of these treatments are ever going to hurt. All they can really do is build your relationship with your dog. And that might mean just shutting your blinds while you're gone, crossing the street when you see other dogs, or just something as small as bringing treats on your daily walks and giving your dog a treat every time you see another dog. So before we go, be sure to subscribe to Canine Conversations wherever you find your podcasts. You can find episode notes for the show and all of our other shows, as well as some bonus materials at canineconvos.com. And I'm Kayla Fratt, owner of Journey Dog Training. You can find my blog and hire me for remote behavior help at journeydogtraining.com. My YouTube channel and Facebook channel are also full of video training demonstrations, blogs, et cetera, et cetera, both under Journey Dog Training. Marissa, do you want to plug your pluggables? Yeah, so uh, I'm Marissa, uh, owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training um, in Boulder, Colorado. You can find me at pauseandreward.com. That's P-A-W-S-A-N-D-R-E-W-A-R-D.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram under Pause and Reward. And we just want to say thank you so much for listening. Um, We really appreciate your support, and we hope that you are enjoying this podcast. Our theme music is called Funny Song, and it's provided royalty-free from bensound.com. Our audio is mixed and edited by James Eady at beheard.org.uk. And lastly, our logo is from Walker Hooper. You can find his work on Instagram at walkers underscore username. Well, guys, I think we could come up with quite a few more examples of things that trainers do differently with their own dogs to support good behavior. We could uh, definitely revisit this topic in the future. And if you're listening, we'd love to hear your input. Trainers, what do you do differently from your clients that you think contributes to your household harmony or improves your relationship with your dog? What secrets would you love to let your clients in on to make their lives easier and help them reach their goals a little more effortlessly? Please reach out to us at hello at canineconvos.com or at our website, canineconvos.com, and let us know. We want to hear from you guys. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you've enjoyed this canine conversation. Please join us for our next episode where we discuss strategies for preventing reactivity and aggression. It's a really complex topic. We see a lot of these issues with our clients, and we just feel that If we can talk a little bit more about how to take a proactive approach and help prevent some of these problems, we can help improve the lives of dogs and their people. We can't wait to dig in with you because we are positively obsessed with behavior. Our theme music is provided royalty-free from Ben Sound. The song is called Funny Song.